the Under Center Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Under Center Podcast. I'm your host, Darmar, and for this first part of the show, I am joined by just Jake Woolhead. This, of course, is our draft special show, looking ahead to the NFL draft this Thursday evening or night, if you are, of course, over here in the island of Ireland or in Europe in general. Uh, of course, taking place in Las Vegas, it was meant to happen uh two years ago actually in vegas before during covid times but that they had to resort to the virtual draft of course but jake how are you today yeah i'm doing well i'm doing well i'm looking forward to this draft on thursday i am not looking to feeling so tired on the friday but look it makes it worthwhile for me yeah of course the draft first round it's it's a three-day thing we have to remember this all the focus of course is on the first round i'm definitely not staying up late to watch round two and three i'm sorry the four five and all the rest of them well they start earlier the next few days so you know it's not as late it's not also important though like after you get past the third round really uh well okay yeah fair enough because even the coverage doesn't even give it that maybe let's not say not as important but less exciting it's very important to the players who get drafted those days. I, I'm, you know? Well, I'm sure I'd be excited if I got called. Yeah. I'd be Mr. Irrelevant, no problem. <laughs> um, like I said, we are looking ahead to to the draft. Um, we have uh, Sam Monson from PFF coming on to the show in the second half to look at the uh, draft more broadly. But uh, we are delighted to welcome on to the show for our first part is looking more at the Seahawks side of things in this draft is Mookie Alexander from Field Goals. Mookie, it's been a while since we spoke to you last. How are you, sir? Yeah, it's great to be back on, guys. Uh, yeah, the last time I was on, uh, Russell Wilson was still on the Seahawks, <laughs> and uh, we didn't have a first-round pick, but now we do. And uh, it's fitting that I'm on the show because this shirt I got just last week, it's a vintage Seahawks uh, shirt, and we might be headed towards vintage times if this team isn't careful because this is the logo that was commonly used during the years where they weren't, they weren't winning too many games. That's interesting. I thought you were going to get that's a bit of a swerve ball there, how you, how you said that, because I thought you were going to say that um, we are entering to vintage times where they can actually wear the old jerseys again with the new rule helmet rule changes that could be coming into place. But no, let's uh, let's talk about the, the dark times of Seattle football for a little bit. Why not? Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned. Uh, we'll we'll quickly we'll quickly speak about it because yeah since since we last spoke there has been a lot of changes in the organization, not just Russell Wilson of course leaving but also Bobby Wagner the sort of last two players involved in in that Super Bowl winning team of course you know head coach Pete Carroll is still there, um well what what have you made of the, the Seahawks moves this off season? Well, what's interesting is the offseason outside of the Wilson trade, because I think the Wagner release was kind of uh, expected. It was either you're going to pay him that money or are you going to move on for cap savings? So it, it wasn't a surprise that Wagner moved on. It was just the timing of it was terrible to have it happen on the same day that they traded Wilson away. But the actual free agency side, uh, free agency side of things looks pretty much like any other Seahawks offseason. You know, they're, they're not going on, you know, shopping day one. They're looking for the second and third wave of free agency and going into the uh, the bargain basement, if you will. No big signings. I guess uh, Uchenna Nwosu is their big get this offseason from, from the Chargers. And even he's on, what, a two-year, $20 million deal? And they, they have been committing to to keeping several of their own guys. Um, the contract Will Disley got, I like Will Disley, but that, that's top half of the league tight end money. And I don't really think that that 
should be the type of contract he should be getting. But hey, congrats to him. Uh, they kept Quandre Diggs, which I thought was huge. I mean, keeping Diggs was a must. Keeping Rashad Penny didn't seem like a logical thing to do up until like November of last year, but I think it's good that they kept him. Uh, where they didn't keep their own guys is on the offensive line. They let Posick go. Um, Dwayne Brown hasn't been resigned, and neither has Brandon Shell, and I don't expect either one of them to stay with the Seahawks. So, uh, yeah, um, this offseason, it's not been anything spectacular in terms of actual signings, but uh, maybe it was never meant to be that way, and because of the Wilson trade and the draft capital they gave, they're really, really going to focus on this year's drafts compared to these last couple of drafts. Yeah, and, and and there's a word that seems to be banned from from the Seahawks locker room at the moment, and that's rebuild, because both John Schneider and Pete Carroll do not believe that they're in a rebuild. Uh, do you think the Seahawks are? Uh, yeah, they're, they're in a rebuild, and they, they can reframe it however they want to. I don't even think they called it a rebuild in 2010 when they made like 90 different transactions in the offseason and, and completely tore the roster down. It's a rebuild. We, we don't have to do step-aside language here. Um, let, let's be real. Drew Locke is not under contract after next season. Neither is Geno Smith. They don't have a long-term answer quarterback on the roster. And the moment that happens to me, you're in rebuilding mode. And they haven't had the great results that we we remember from the early Wilson years. These last few years, they got one playoff win over the last five seasons, and they missed twice. So I think the writing is on the wall as far as the strength of this roster. It's not that great. It's not like worst of the league or anything. It's not Detroit or Jacksonville or anything, but it's certainly much weaker compared to their NFC West counterparts. So uh, with the draft capital they've, they've gained and what they have now and what they have next year, I think that they're looking at not like a long-term four or five-year rebuild. I mean, that doesn't make sense given Pete Carroll's age and the fact that I, if he screws this up, he's not going to get four or five years. But it's one of those short-term, we're going to see if we can make one more push. And within that time frame, we're going to see whether or not Drew Locke can justify a contract extension. Or the second bit, can they find their next franchise quarterback through the draft? can they find another Russell Wilson? Because it doesn't have to be in the first round. Yeah, exactly. And like you mentioned, Russell Wilson wasn't the first round pick himself. But there was a name that was linked with the Seahawks throughout the offseason with his issues with his own team. And that and that was uh, Baker Mayfield. And he even mentioned himself that the Seahawks were a logical choice. It's kind of met with a bit of division within the fan base, just seeing myself on Twitter with people talking. Um. I guess it kind of, the, the signing of, of re-signing, I should say, of Geno Smith on that one-year deal sort of puts pay to any chances of Baker maybe ending up in Seattle. Yeah, I would think so. And even Geno's contract, he's got like $500,000 guaranteed. He can make up to $7 million, but his guaranteed money is very little. So that's the type of, of deal where he's not even a, a surefire thing to make the 53-man roster. But the fact that they re-signed him in the first place he knows the offense better than Drew Lockwood or Jacob Eason would. So I would expect him to at least be there through preseason. So it doesn't mean the Seahawks won't take a quarterback this draft, but I think it would certainly rule out uh, adding Baker Mayfield. And they've never seemed to be too keen on, on adding Mayfield anyway. Like it, it's only just been like loose links and, and, and trying to, to piece puzzles together that really don't necessarily fit. It doesn't yeah. seem like there is a market for Baker Mayfield at all. I mean, Carolina is probably the best fit for him. But as far as teams just picking up the phone, like we got to get Baker Mayfield, it's just not there. 
And I feel like Baker is not a great quarterback or anything, but he's not he's not like a, a non-NFL level starter. He, he was part of a team that almost knocked off Kansas City in the playoffs two seasons ago. And they ended their, their long drought of, of not winning any playoff games with him at quarterback. He was pretty good that year. Um, he was not good last year. I think some of it has to be attributed to the injury. And maybe that's part of the problem is that the, the severity of his injury much in the way that we're seeing there's no trade market for Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, it's kind of scared teams off from wanting to commit to either one of them in a trade. They would take that risk if they were released, but not to give up something in order to get those quarterbacks. Could you get behind Baker Mayfield on the Seahawks? Um, I, I, I probably wouldn't, but I think his, quote, redemption, the redemption <laughs> angle here is something that Pete Carroll loves. And we've seen the Seahawks do this over and over again with multiple positions. I remember when they first got uh, to the team, their, their major reclamation project, if you will, was Mike Williams, the wide receiver. And he was he kind of ate his way out of the league. And then he had a, 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 a semi-revival with the team in 2010. They're all about, quote-unquote, second chances. So I don't think Mayfield's in, in, in second-chance situation here. It's not like he's, he's done anything to be not deserving of a starting spot in the league. But if they want to try and revive someone's career. Um, yeah, maybe they would consider Mayfield, but I think they really are that committed to, to seeing what they have in Drew Locke. The fact that John Schneider said at the press conference about a month ago that uh, they had considered Locke or, or that they really liked uh, Drew Locke coming out of college tells me that it wasn't just a fluff piece to, to, to pump up Drew Locke. It, it's, they knew that Wilson's contract was expiring within a couple of years and they weren't necessarily committed to giving him the mega extension afterwards. So they were looking at options, and Drew Locke was one of them. So uh, to answer your question, no, I, I wouldn't get behind Mayfield, but would the Seahawks consider it? There's a small chance. I, I'm not giving it 0%, but it's a small chance. If, if it came down to taking a quarterback in the draft much cheaper than Mayfield's fifth-year option, then I think they lean towards going through the draft. And let's uh, let's move on to the draft then. Um, of course, the Seahawks have uh, eight picks this year, and uh, their first one, of course, is the ninth pick overall in, because of that Russell Wilson trade. You know, you, you see mock drafts, like multiple ones, all the way leading up to now this week. And we've had our own now. Each each guy is given their own this week, and you know, there's it's either it seems to be either you know corner, uh, tackle, or QB. Uh, and you're looking at Malik Lewis is probably the most, uh, uh, probably the, the one QB that a lot of people are, are linking the Seahawks with the most, especially going for that number nine pick. Of course, you have the likes of Charles Cross, Evan Neal, you know, uh, Ikum Equanu uh, for in the tackle position. You're looking at Stingley or, and Gardner there in the corner position. You know, what what are you thinking yourself uh, for that number nine pick, especially for, for the Seahawks? What would you like to see them do? Well, at the number nine pick, I expect them to trade down. And we've seen them trade down, not these last couple of years, but more often than not, they tend to trade down. They haven't picked this high in a while, so that could be what holds them back. But the last time I think they picked somewhere in the top 12, they traded down and they took Bruce Irvin. So that was the 2012 year. Um, so looking at the needs for this team, I feel like offensive line is the biggest need. Again, you, you have Stone Forsythe as your current starting left tackle, and he didn't play a snap last year on offense. And Jake Curran showed some promise last year, but again, that, that's a limited sample size. And if you 
play him over a full season, you might not like the results. So you got to have competition there. They, they can't just win the starting job by merely existing. So um, I, I like Iquanu as the, the tackle I'm most keen on. I'd be surprised if they took Charles Cross. Um, it's not like I think he'll be bad or anything, but it's the fact that he played an air raid offense in college. And that's a pass-heavy system. And what I expect, especially in a post-Wilson world, is for the Seahawks to commit to running the ball even more. So limited run-blocking snaps, not to say Cross is an incompetent run-blocker, but the fact that he doesn't have a lot of tape on there, uh, I think they're going to shy away from Cross. Cornerback is actually interesting. I don't think that they're going to invest heavily in cornerback this draft. They might be com uh, comfortable with Sidney Jones and Trey Brown as their starting outside corners. Losing DJ Reed obviously stung, but they probably weren't willing to pay at that price. Um, they signed Artie Burns in free agency. Um, I, I'm sure they can make some investments in like the fourth or fifth round like they normally do, but they've never taken a cornerback within the first two rounds ever. So I expect that to, to remain the same here. Um, so if I leave out quarterback, then you look at the defensive line and the pass rush still needs some work. Like Daryl Taylor, uh, Nwosu, th those are good starting blocks, but they can beef that up. Um, I don't think that they will take a pass rusher first, though. I think they're going to go offensive line. If they go quarterback, I think they're going to go second round, um, especially because if, if you don't like what you see out of a second or third round quarterback, moving on from them is a lot more understandable than if you take a quarterback in the top 10. Like what happened to Josh Rosen in Arizona was a unique circumstance in the sense that he got taken, he was terrible, but a new regime, uh, regime came in and it was time to, to send him over to, to Miami or wherever he went and get Kyler Murray. So first round quarterbacks, you don't just give up on after a year. Uh, so I'm leaning towards uh, Equando if he's available. Evan Neal is also a good option out of Alabama. Uh, Trevor Penning from uh, Northern Iowa could be a dark horse, but uh, he, he played at FCS. So, I mean, that's not top flight college football you're looking at there. They tend not to take uh, from FCS schools. So um, the, the only reason I cite Penning is he graded very well as a run blocker. And if he's a great run blocker and he's a bit of a mauler, big athletic type, then he may fit the mold of what the Seahawks are looking for. Whether he's a schematic fit is a different story, but uh Everything is on the table for Seattle with this draft. There are very few positions where they don't have to fill something. So uh, I think they'll trade down and take an offensive lineman, but I don't want to trade too far down that they're in the 20s or something. Mookie, you mentioned a, a second or third round quarterback. Have you got your eye on any of them? Um, Sam Howell from North Carolina, I, I think intrigues me the most. I feel like Malik Willis has the, the highest upside, but I, I also think he's a bit erratic overall. Um, he could be worked on, certainly. It depends on, on, on the right coaching. Uh, so Desmond Ritter, I, I'm not feeling his, his arm strength or his accuracy in general, but I could see Seattle take him. I mean, they, they brought him in for a, a visit, and he's the only quarterback that they've had, at least to, you know, at the time of recording this, uh, who's been part of a top 30 visit. So you've got Ritter, you've got Willis, you have Sam Howell, uh, Kenny Pickett, uh, I, I don't think Seattle's interested in not with those toddler-sized hands. Uh, <laughs> uh, poor Kenny, but uh, th this is not a great quarterback class. Let, 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 let's be real here. It's not deep in the sense that you're going to have eight, nine quarterbacks that, that really catch your eye. But um, 2023, when Seattle had two first-round picks, you could think of C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. They would both be draft eligible by then, and perhaps the Seahawks would, would have an eye on them. And even if they do have an eye on those guys, that doesn't mean they don't need to take a quarterback now. So 
I think they might consider Ritter, but Sam Howell, I think, uh, is somebody they'd really like to take a look at because he's got the arm strength. I feel like for, for what Pete Carroll wants to run, even with Wilson gone, they want a strong arm, strong arm quarterback because they want those explosive plays down the field. And uh, I, I like what I've seen from Howell. He could be a steal in the second round. Yeah. Well, there was that picture, of course, of the combine of Carroll Witt. Uh, was it Matt Corral, wasn't it? Uh, meeting yeah. Matt Corral at the time as well. So there, that's an, that is another name. And it is interesting where they do have those two picks back to back 40 and 41 to see see what they do there. And, and something that they could do, and I don't know, it, it's probably one position that we haven't talked about yet. And that's the wide receiver position. We've seen the moves teams have made with wide receiver this offseason, like Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, just to name a few, the uncertainty with the likes of A.J. Brown and uh, Debo Samuel. <clears throat> and you've seen the constant links of D.K. Metcalf being uh, traded away. Should the Seahawks be looking at drafting a, a wide receiver uh, this time around? That's a good question because I think they will extend Metcalf. I mean, he's already up to the voluntary workout, so he, he's – in, you know, pre-camp, I guess you could say. But it's less about Metcalf as far as their future wide receiver, more about Tyler Lockett. Because Metcalf, um, we, we know, has been linked as far as potentially being dealt if they don't give him his contract, etc. or don't want to. Um, but Tyler Lockett was reportedly open for, for, for trade. Now, that was just one source I can recall reporting that back uh, when Wilson got traded. But even so, Lockett's going to be 30, I think, next year. And he, he's in the second year of a four-year contract extension, I believe. He is somebody who might be a cap casualty even in a couple of years' time and whose game may very well be impacted by the fact that he doesn't have Wilson at quarterback. So I think it would be important for the Seahawks to consider beefing up wide receiver, uh, regardless of what they do with Metcalf or Lockett. But think about the receiver investment they've done the last couple of years. They took Metcalf in 2019. And they took um, uh, D. Eskridge with their first pick last year, but Eskridge hardly contributed. And even when he was, you know, part of it was the injury, but the other part of it is he was just not getting open and he was just hardly involved in the offense. 10 catches over, what, 10 games is not impressive at all. So you don't give up on Eskridge, but I think there should be some added competition. It's a wide receivers league. I mean, think about how many great wide receiver classes we have seen over the last few years. And we're also seeing how expendable top end wide receivers are. So I think you always want to be well stocked at that position. So as far as wide receivers go, I don't think they would take any one in the first round, but the second and third round, I think that's when things could get interesting. I don't really have any names other than John Mechie from Alabama. I, I believe that he, he could really break out as a, a quality receiver in this league, but yeah, Seattle's got a lot to a lot of questions at the wide receiver position, but they better keep DK. Not, not just because you have his jersey in your background there, Dara, but also <laughs> if they do get rid of him, he is insanely popular. He is an insanely popular player. And if he gets traded, if he leaves on the back of Wilson leaving, then Mount St. Helens is going to erupt out of anger. I mean, th this would really damage the, the credibility of Carol and Schneider. You have top-end talent. Just because you're rebuilding doesn't mean you also get rid of your top-end talent that's young, too. He is so young. He's so talented. His best years are ahead of him. They should keep them. Lockett, I think they should keep through this year, but like the two years after that is going to be interesting. And they should keep investing in wide receiver because you are supposed to find your next franchise quarterback eventually, and you don't want to have him start with a bear covered at the receiver position. Yeah. 
Well, to be fair, that's the only uh, Seahawks jersey I have at the moment that has a current player on the roster. <laughs> um, you know, I have I have a Doug Baldwin one. I have a Bobby Wagner one. Uh, I have a Russell Wilson one. Um, all gone. I think I have a curse a, then. Yeah, a bad in the franchise. Yeah. I have a signed Evan Engram jersey and Landon Collins Giants jerseys, and obviously they are not currently playing. I also have a not signed Daniel Jones jersey, and we all can see where that's going to go in the next year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they should just adopt the English model of like jerseys where they don't put names on them or anything, so you won't be disappointed if they when they leave. I'm just going to stick uh, with legacy players from now on. Yeah. <laughs> just put a number on the back of the jersey, and then. You just swap in, swap in the last name periodically. <laughs> you can get like detachable like name plates for the back of them, so that whenever you can order new ones all the time when they change their number, it'd be great. That's why I was terrified when like players could pick any number they wanted. Um, and Bobby Wagner wants to go back to number nine. I said, like, no, "Don't do that, Bobby." <laughs> I had fifty-four. Don't do it. But obviously, he was never going to pay out for the for that. Um, well, interesting though, I just want to circle back to, to the wide receiver talk for a little one more. Um, because what we've talked about so far as well is is sort of what the Seattle uh, hope to do next year, and that is be a more run heavy team. So, does it necessarily make sense to have these highly paid wide receivers on the roster? And so, with the amount of money that DK Metcalf is going to um command. Is it viable to have him on the roster if you're going to have such a run-orientated uh, offense? I think it does. I mean, a- another comparison would be his former uh, Ole Miss teammate, A.J. Brown. The Titans are a run-heavy offense. I would like to think that they're going to re-sign him because if they don't, then there goes the entire passing offense. That's a, that, that wide receiver position at Tennessee is really not deep at all. So um, for, for, the, for the Seahawks, with what we've seen out of, of Pete Carroll, they don't tend to resign too many of the receivers in the first place. Like Baldwin and Lockett are, are, are unique in that sense. They never resigned Paul Richardson. They didn't resign Golden Tate. They traded for Percy Harvin and then immediately traded him away like a, a, a year later. Uh, so with Metcalf, I feel like it's different because in the limited sample size we've had out of Metcalf with Geno Smith at quarterback, he was productive, quite productive. I think he had like 20 catches for 300-something for yards and, and four touchdowns. And, and he seems to have good chemistry with Smith. So it depends on how you view Metcalf. Is he successful with any old quarterback, or is he only successful with a certain type of quarterback? So the few weeks that we've seen with him and Geno, I think he can be successful with any quarterback. And uh, that's reason enough to keep him aboard, um, especially, what, is he 25 years old? So somewhere in that uh, age bracket. So even if they want to be run-heavy, uh, Metcalf also has a lot of value as a run blocker. Like I think if you have a receiver who can block ball, like like Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is in a, a an offense that likes to give him the ball a lot, but he's also an important part of the run game. So Metcalf could be seen that same way without having the same volume. Uh, but it, it is uh, very. It's a very astute point you make. The, the, the question mark as far as if you're going to be run heavy, do you want to be deep at receiver at the same time? I personally would. But it might conflict with how Carroll wants to view it. He might rather be deep at running back and have great run blocking on the offensive line than have great pass blocking and deep receivers. Yeah. And and while we're on the subject of running backs, 
there's not many projected to go high in, in this draft and, and with the injury concerns over uh, Chris Carson and, and Rashad Penny uh, and their history there, like I myself personally would think it would be a, a the right option to to look at getting a running back in maybe the maybe the fourth or fifth round and you know just looking at some of the names that that could be there you know Damian Price from Florida he might be gone by that stage but there's other ones like um Samir White's or maybe even you know Dalvin Cook's brother James Cook could be uh, available maybe in the in the in those uh, rounds. Yeah, I think running back is a is a semi need, not necessarily for 2022, but long term. Because you think about this season, Penny only be signed to a one year deal. I don't know if Carson's even ever going to play again. As unfortunate as that sounds, like a neck injury, how many Seahawks just within the last 10, 15 years have we seen have their careers affected, if not ended, as a result of neck injuries or neck surgeries? Travis Homer is not an every down back. And for all the improvements he made, he's made and his value on special teams, he's a free agent after 2022. So your only running back under contract beyond this season is DJ Dallas. So when you keep all that in mind, and then you add in the injury histories of Carson and Penny, yeah, they might want to take a look at running back. Um, I like uh, Brees Hall from Iowa State's in the second round, if they were to consider him. And also Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. But you're right, this is not a, a super generational running back class. And even so, I think that the shift away from taking running backs early is, is really pronounced now that even if you have a future all pro running back, you really can get him at any round. So um, Brian Robinson, I think is his name from um, uh, Alabama. They, they can also look at him. I like James Cook uh, from Georgia. You get Dalvin's brother and he, he kind of runs like him a little bit. Uh, but Seattle is always looking to invest in the running back position. I mean, the, the fact that they took Homer and Dallas over the last couple of years anyway, after taking Penny in the first round and giving Carson a contract extension uh, um, last year. So they always want to be well-stocked there. So even if it's not an early pick in, in the second round, I can definitely see them taking a running back or two. Like the only positions really where I don't expect them to, to do anything would be tight end because they have uh, no offense and Will Disley and Kobe Parkinson and defensive tackle because they have Shelby Harris, Puna Ford, Brian Monet, et cetera, et cetera. And safety, of course. Like, you have Diggs and Adams, and you got Ryan Neal. I don't see any need for them to take a, a safety, not with the money that they've tied to that position alone. Yeah. I think they had, who was it? Was it uh, Casey from uh, the former Cowboy safety? They had him in for a visit last yeah. week as well, actually. But he so, can also, yeah, he, he can also play nickel corner as well. So the versatility yeah. there, and the fact that Neal is admittedly only under contract for, for this year too, they, they could have KZ as like an additional safety and in, in whatever packages they want to add an extra DB or to be in that nickel corner spot, because that is a pretty competitive spot. You got Marquise Blair coming off injury. You have Hugo Amadi right now. They brought back Justin Coleman. So KZ's versatility is something I think that they would really like. Um, and if they do add him, uh, I think he could be a good contributor for this defense. Yeah. Excellent. Um, before we let you go, we'll, we'll, I want to ask something actually outside of the draft, because you know, obviously a big thing over this side of the pond is the international games. And we found out who the home teams will be um, for next season. We are going to get an extra game this year in Munich in Germany as well, which is fantastic. And it's uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are uh, scheduled to be the home team for that game next season. And 
all reports coming out these last uh, week or so seems to be that um, the Seahawks are one of the teams high on the list to um, actually be the, the opponent for the Tampa Bay in Germany. Uh, first of all, have you heard anything about that yourself? And secondly, um, how um, how exciting would that be, especially for Seahawks fans as well, um, for them to, for the chance to maybe possibly uh, travel over to uh, Munich in Germany? Yeah, um, I think there might have been a hint that Seattle could be the opponent because John Schneider had a press conference last week, their pre-draft presser, and, and brought up that they were uh, learning a bit of German. So I don't know if that was a, a hint that they might take uh, Bernard Raymond, the Central Michigan tackle, uh, with their first pick. I think that's also somebody uh, Seattle would consider taking in the first round. Uh, but they have Aaron Donker on the practice squad uh, as part of their their international pathway program, and he's German as well. So I think uh, Seattle could end up being the opponent. We, we should know uh, probably within the next week because that's when they intend to announce the international games, but nothing is really set in stone. If it does happen, I think this would be only the second time the Seahawks have ever played a game outside of North America and the third time outside of the U.S. And just from the previous two times they've been outside of the U.S., when they played the Bills in Toronto, uh, it felt like there were more Seahawks fans there than the Bills fans. And Toronto to Buffalo is, is just a hop, skip, and a jump. And then you have the London game in 2018 against the Raiders, and that was a road game officially for the Seahawks. It felt like a Seahawks home game. So I think the Seahawks have one of the larger international fan bases, and that's really cool to see. Um, so if it's the Seahawks at Buccaneers, uh, I just sold for two things. One, they score more than Bayern Munich normally does at that stadium. And, <laughs> and, and the second bit is they, they, they make it a, a great atmosphere because, you know, Tampa Bay is, is getting Tom Brady back. Uh, he pulled the, the retirement rug out from under us. So it, it could be a, a really good time for Seahawks fans and any Buccaneers fans if they, they want to take the trip to Germany. But Seahawks fans in particular, I know they got a pretty considerable German fan base as well. So, uh yeah, the, these international games, I, I'm sure they're great for, for everybody across uh, across that side of the Atlantic. And uh, definitely you would want uh, the, the Seahawks to, to be there in person, hopefully with a roster that is uh, that is competent enough that the money will be worth it. Yeah, definitely for sure. And I can agree for that uh, 2018 game at Wembley because I was there myself and there was more Seahawks fans there than Raiders. Um, and it felt like a home game because I had the rain and everything all day uh, that day at Wembley. I was also there, but I don't really remember too much of it to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> I wonder why, Jake. I wonder why. <laughs> Just unfair from it. <laughs> uh, listen, Mookie, it's been so great to speak to you again. We really appreciate the time. Uh, what have you got um, in store now for uh, field goals and yourself for ahead of draft? Oh, we're going to be doing a ton of draft coverage pretty much wall to wall throughout the week and into next week, especially with the undrafted free agent signings. We're going to have a tracker on that. Um, I'll be doing some live reaction stuff to our our first pick. Hopefully they pick somebody I actually like, because if they pick a, a player that I'm not too keen on, then uh, the live reaction may be canceled. Uh, but yes, you'll definitely want to tune into field goals and, and read our stuff. And, and, and we'll also have a lot of film breakdown too, scouting, scouting reports and everything. I feel like this year um, we're, we're really putting a lot of stock into our draft coverage um, because of just how many holes the Seahawks need to fill. And the fact that they have so many picks this year compared to the three from last year. 
Yeah, I know what that's saying. And there is like that little bit of excitement th- thinking that all of these new players that are going to be coming into the team, what they could possibly do to improve the team and, and will this be a step forward? And also the other side of things, first year without Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, see what see what's going to happen. But like I said, uh, Mookie, it's been brilliant to speak to you. Uh, thank you so much for taking time. And uh, we hope to speak to you again, if not during the summer, definitely ahead of the new season. All right, thanks for having me on again and go Hawks. Excellent. And uh, make sure if we are in Germany that you are there so we can have a Stein together. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. I got to brush up on my German then as well. <laughs> you only need to know how to say one beer and it's easy. It's ein beer. It's the most easiest thing. <laughs> Jake has got you all prepared for your German lessons. Don't worry about that. All you need. <laughs> and schnitzel. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking to Sam Monson from PFF. And you're welcome back to the second part of the Under Center podcast with Dara, Jake and Fionn, of course. Uh, we're going to get into the uh, the draft uh, a little more now in a couple of minutes. Um, but Fionn, I um, meant to ask you there the last day. Obviously, I wasn't around last week to ask, but, you know, you were meant to be getting into Kyler Murray's DMs and seeing if he's okay yeah. and... It's not working out at the moment. I thought he was going to play. Now again, he's not going to play. Yeah, like he's giving you a bit of a run around here. Oh, listen, I'm I'm pulled everywhere at the moment in the league. I'm talking. I got to talk to Debo Samuel as well. He's after deleting everything. There's there's a lot of guys in their fields around the league at the moment. So I'm trying to calm everything down. You know yourself, they're they're agents. They're just not up to scratch anymore. They're 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 too highly strung. So I'm really yeah pulled all over the place trying to calm lads down at the moment. Just keep DK happy for me, and we're all okay. That's all I care about. Well, he happy. does have that big, uh, didn't he have that big, like, soother, sucker, whatever you want to call it, mouth guard back in the yeah. day. So he has been a little bit of a big baby now, I have to say. <laughs> well, look, out of all of these uh, wide receivers, it's the less we've heard about. It's true. Uh, he's he's handled his business in the background. For now. Well, he's there at For workouts now. at the moment. They're doing their, obviously, their voluntary workouts, and he's there with the team. So, you know, it seems good at the moment. But look, it's a long summer ahead, and we'll see. But let's listen, we'll, we can get into that later on in another show. We're going to be focusing on the draft, and we're delighted to welcome Sam Monson from PFF onto the show. Sam, how are you? Good. How's it going, guys? Not too Fantastic. bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, before we get into the draft, I must ask you, of course, um, you proudly represented the Dublin West Dublin Rhinos <laughs> on uh, PFF podcasts and shows. Um, not having the greatest start to the, to the year at the moment. They, do you sort of keep up to date as much as you can sort of with how the team's getting on? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Obviously, I still follow all their kind of social media stuff, so I, I get an idea of how the results have gone and a little bit of, of how the games themselves have gone. doesn't sound like it's going great this year, but uh wouldn't be the first year that, that it hasn't been <laughs> hasn't been phenomenal for the Rhinos. Do you miss playing? Uh, yeah, like I, I, I do. I miss I miss sport generally. I'm not actually playing pretty much anything here at the moment. We, we started playing basketball at one point before COVID hit. We had a YMCA gym, literally like the next block up from PFF's offices over here in Cincinnati. So we had almost like a lunch game going basically daily. That was pretty fun. Since that shut everything down, I I haven't found like another sport to get into. Um, There's some people who play flag football here. I can't play flag football because 
I too used to hitting people, so it's just <laughs> not the same. It, it drives me nuts. Um, it's like tag rugby, right? Like the no game I've ever played is as chippy and as like niggly and annoying as tag <laughs> rugby because you can't hit people. In games where you can hit people, there's not like half that level of animosity and annoyance because you just you know hit somebody in the next play and it kind of sorts itself out. So. Yeah, I'm, I I would love to get back into something, and football would be uh, football is definitely something that I miss playing. Yeah, for sure. Um, now that actually you have been on the show as well, what we'll have to do is we're gonna have to sort out a, a North Dublin Pirates helmet sticker for you, so you can put it on the Steve <laughs> side of the table, so you can have the rhinos and, and pirates there now for the next couple of shows for sure. Cool. Yeah, I mean, the I had that rhinos helmet made up specially. Um, so we could put something on the podcast and just have it sit in there. Yeah, I don't know if our budget allows a pirate helmet to be <laughs> even made more, with stickers. We can sticker do. at the moment. To be honest, <laughs> oh, it's no, it's kind of like it, it'd be like the IKEA flat pack. Like you assemble everything, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> you find a helmet and just put a sticker over the top of it. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Uh, even just even a random part on the table itself, if you just want to put the sticker there, it doesn't even have to be on the helmet. Just, just we just had to get the product placement out there for sure. Um, but look, let's let's have a look at the draft, and uh, I want to ask you about um, your latest mock draft that came out. I think it was the 18th of April. Actually, you, you um, released it, and the top 10 is quite interesting because there was a few players that you've moved up in recent weeks, and with the likes of Kenny Pickett to the Panthers going at six, and Devin Lloyd to the Giants. Interesting. Interestingly, at seven, uh, starting with with Devin Lloyd, what what makes you think that he is moving up so highly on on teams' boards? It's more when you do like sometimes when you do these mock drafts and you kind of realize that if the picks fall in a certain way, like guys can either artificially go up or down the draft without them having to have done anything. It's just all of a sudden players that you expected to be there are not, or players that you didn't expect to be there are there. And involves, you know, passing up certain players. So this one, for the first time, I did a mock draft where picks number one, two, three were all edge rushers, right? It was Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Trayvon Walker. And I hadn't, I haven't seen that happen much. Um, all three of those guys were always being talked about in those first three picks. But I hadn't actually seen it happen where they went literally one, two, three. And immediately once that happens it throws everything out of whack, right? Because a lot of people are giving the Jets an edge rusher with one of those first two picks. I think that gets a lot less likely if the first three are gone, you know, unless they love Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, they're probably not going edge rusher with one of their top two picks. Um, similarly, like the Giants were are, are often picking a, an edge rusher with one of their picks. Um, and all of a sudden, like the tackles are suddenly available lower down because those first three edge rushers are all gone. So, it's not so much that that I think Devin Lloyd is kind of flying up draft boards, though I think he is finding himself somewhere like middle of the first round, maybe first half of the first round. But when you get to that Giants pick, then, you know, the, the second of them, they, they grab a tackle with their first one. They're like, well, now what do they do, right? If they've taken a tackle with their first pick, they're not taking a second one. The edge rushers are gone. Um, the top corner is gone you know, they're, they're not in the quarterback market. They're kind of running out of players or positions that they would even think about drafting. Um, they're not going to take a wide receiver. I don't think given the amount of investment they have in that room. So all of a sudden you're sort of looking out there and you go, well, Devin Lloyd is kind of the best player available for them, unless they're being like ruthlessly 
sticking to a, a best player available kind of board, regardless of the value, like regardless of the fact that we just drafted a tackle or we have a ton of value already in, in the wide receiver room. So that's kind of how the Devin Lloyd thing ended up. Sam, you mentioned there were a couple of things that caught my attention. Obviously, the fact that multiple teams have uh, top 10 picks in the Jets and the Giants both have two top 10 picks and that all this draft board tends to tends to change dramatically depending on what order people go in. Are you expecting both of those teams to to draft both of those top 10 picks or do you think it's probably more likely one or both gets out of at least one of those picks? I think pretty much anybody with more than one first round pick this year is probably open for business in terms of trading to go down or to to grab draft picks next year. Um, I think the Giants, it would make a lot of sense. They will probably use one of those picks, fill a need. But if somebody wants to give them a first round pick next year for their second pick, I think they'd be all over that um, for a couple of reasons. One, the, the value of next year's draft might be better across the board, but it's certainly going to be better at the quarterback position. And whereas the Giants are probably not in that market right now, there's a pretty good chance they're going to be next year. Like if Daniel Jones doesn't play out of his mind this year, the Giants are probably looking for a quarterback this time next year. And if they now have a if they now have two first round picks next year, that's the kind of thing that might position you to go get, you know, one of those top guys that they they're not really they don't have a shot at this year even if there were those types of players. So the Jets maybe, I think, are a little bit more inclined to use those picks, but it wouldn't shock me if, if they traded down as well. Um, aside from anything else, I, I think this draft is a weird one in that it's not stuffed full of top 10 type of talents. I think the strength of this draft is actually like the next 50 picks, right? It's, it's pick 10 through 60. Sam, um, just a, how likely do you think there is a, a, a trade within the top 10? I see because I'm a Giants fan. I know there's the five and the seven pick. Do you think it's more likely they move from five or seven? I've seen some people mocking that, like say in, in these uh, hypotheticals that the Seahawks move from nine to five, try to get a jump ahead of the Panthers, get a quarterback, give the Giants the pick like you were saying for next year. So how likely would you see something like that happening? I mean, I think half the top 10 would like to trade out. But the problem with that is you need you need the all you need the other person to to make the trade, right? You need somebody willing to jump up into those positions. And it's kind of hard to see who teams are gonna do that for. Like Carolina, I don't I don't really see a team jumping over Carolina because I think I think it's a pretty good chance they end up drafting Kenny Pickett. And the rest of the league, I think, would be ecstatic to let them do that. And if you're Seattle, I think Pickett is not the quarterback you're interested in. So I don't think that they need to jump ahead of Carolina. I think they could probably sit there, watch the Panthers implode, grab whoever they wanted at quarterback anyway, and not have to give up anything. Um, the Panthers, I'm sure, would love to trade down, but I don't know that there's anybody that wants to oblige and jump up. Um, I guess part of it is, you know, if it unfolds like I had it, maybe one of those tackles starts to slide enough that a team might want to jump up and, and make that happen. You know, New Orleans maneuvered with those two first round picks and they have a big need to tackle. Maybe they love one of those top three guys, whether it's Iki Aquanu, Evan Neal, Charles Cross. If if those guys start to slide to the back end of the top 10, the Saints might be trying to get up and, and make that happen. Um, so, yeah, I think like half the top 10 would perfectly would be perfectly happy with making a trade. But there needs to be somebody sitting there that a team falls in love with you know, to make that trade happen from uh, from the other team's perspective. Thanks to the tango, as they say. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sam, you mentioned the Saints, and they're sitting there. They obviously made that pre-draft deal to get a couple of first-round picks. Uh, have you any idea what their intention is with those picks at the moment? They, are they likely to package them, or did they just want two higher-up first-round picks, or is there any kind of consensus on what's going on in the background there? I thought at the time that they must be using that as like a step one to go up higher in the draft and try and potentially get a quarterback or, or get somebody, you know, inside the top 10. But the longer it goes on, the more I think they might just want two picks this year in the first round, as opposed to, you know, the future. They, they have a couple of big needs that they actually need to fill. The Saints are generally a team that takes the attitude of like, screw the future. We'll deal with that down the line. Um, so I think there's a pretty good chance, actually, that they end up just using both those picks on a tackle and a wide receiver, take their two biggest needs off, and and move on, like, and, and deal with the consequences down the line. Yeah. <clears throat> um, looking at, I want to look at some players that have sort of slipped maybe in the last week, and, and obviously this is the crucial week where if you see players slip, it, it's an indication maybe that teams aren't too high on them after interviews. And um, it's the likes of Kyle Hamilton. Um, Derek Stingley, interesting enough, you had going, I think, 13 to the 12, sorry, to the Vikings. And then also Drake London, who uh, a lot of people were quite high on at the start, but seems the the interest is cooling off a little bit on him. Yeah, Hamilton, I think as soon as he started to run, you know, pedestrian type of 40 times, not even pedestrian, just not elite 40 times for his size. I think it cooled his draft stock from, you know, he might be special enough to break all the usual rules about when you draft a safety and how high you can take that guy to, okay, no, we're just dealing with like another good safety. And those guys go in the middle of the first round. They don't go in the top five picks. So you know, Hamilton running a four, five, nine or whatever it was at the combine and then running a time at his pro day that was apparently even slower than that. It doesn't change the fact that he's a really good player. I don't think it alters his his potential or his capacity at the next level. But it does, you know, for teams that were talk- like we were talking about, can the Houston Texans talk themselves into Hamilton at three overall? They're like, well, not with a four, six, right? If he'd run a four, three, maybe, maybe then you can start saying, okay, this guy is special enough that we don't care that he's only a safety. Like he can make that kind of impact in the defense. I think that's what kind of has led to him slipping a little bit. Uh, Derek Stingley is just a weird prospect because he's got the best tape of any cornerback in this class, but only in 2019. Right. And that's a couple of years ago now. And there's injuries to deal with. There's the fact that he just hasn't got back to that level, but the fact that he showed that insane elite play, is really important and it's just a case of how much teams care about recency bias and whether they can talk themselves out of um the the, the recent years and the injuries and all those kinds of things who was the third player that was uh, drake, oh, drake london um london one of his big problems i think is that he's not going to run like he's he's not going to put out a 40 time i think essentially before the draft because of that ankle injury that's been hampering him and the big concern everybody has about him is, yeah, but like, how fast is he? He obviously is a great contested catch guy. He's shown that he's quick enough on the field, but you, you watch his tape and you come away and you're like, I mean, if that guy's four six, four seven in the 40, if you just start looking at the number of receivers who have succeeded at that kind of speed, it's, it's a really low number. And right now, like there's none of them. Nobody in the NFL right now is good. Who's run like a four seven or 
slower, like guys like Jarvis Landry, but there's no elite receiver, right? And if you're talking about drafting a guy in the top half of the first round, that's what he needs to be. He needs to become an elite wide receiver. So if you already thought he was maybe a four, six, four, seven guy, and he's not showing you anything different, it's going to be enough to scare teams away. And I also think it's a weird group. It's a weird sort of year of wide receivers where there aren't a ton of like perfectly clean. There's no Jamar chase, right? There's no guy where there's just no flaws. Like you're looking through Jamar chases, uh, positives and negatives. And you're like, what is, what's the negative here? There's, there's nothing that isn't good. He might not be amazing at everything, but he's good at literally everything. And he's not bad at anything. Every receiver in this group, you know, there's kind of something missing or there's something that's not, that you don't love. And there's a, a sort of bunch of different styles of receivers. So generally I think you're going to see a big, uh, breadth of rankings on them. You're going to see some guys that have Drake London as their number one receiver. You're going to see some guys that have them like five or six. And I don't think that either of them are crazy. I think you can make a pretty good argument about either. Hmm. Sam, I was going to ask you, they kind of answered the question I had, I had lined up of what, where you think the kind of the wide receivers are ranked at the moment, but uh, I'll pivot a little bit. And one of the questions I have that I find difficult when I'm, I mean, obviously we're not draft experts or anything on this show, but when we do our draft is, you got guys on really good teams like Ohio State who have excellent offenses and kind of jump off the page, but then they don't always play the best defenses. And they tend to have the best quarterback thrown to them, and there's a lot of disparity in terms of talent there. On a, on a team where you've got Garrett Wilson and Olave coming out of the same team, who, who do you put as the better wide receiver out of that duo? Yeah, and the funny thing is, like, the guy behind both of them, you know, might be the best receiver of the group. Uh, they have a guy that will come out next year, Smith and Jigba, who might be the best of the three. They had Jamison Williams, who couldn't get on the field because they had those guys ahead of them. Jamison Williams might go ahead of either of them in this draft as well. They had an absolutely stacked receiver core. Um, I've kind of come – I've gone full circle. Like, when I was watching Justin Fields' tape, Garrett Wilson looked like the best receiver to me. Um, and that was – Everyone else seems to have kind of gone in the other direction. Um, if you go back a year ago, everybody was saying Olave was the better of the two. But Wilson Wilson was the guy that seemed better to me. I think I've stayed there the whole way. And I think Wilson just is the, the most complete composite of all the skill sets. Um, I think a lot of other people now, though, seem to have come onto that. And, and we've gone away from Olave a little bit and, and gone towards Wilson. But I think those are two very safe wide receivers. Like, they're good at things that translate immediately to the NFL. The question is, how good can they be? But I think it's pretty obvious they'll both be good. Sam, just um, is Trayvon Walker this year's draft darling? Obviously, there was a lot of talk about him going number one overall, but is that just smoke or has he just really risen that much? Um, I'm not sure if the number one overall stuff is smoke. I think the idea, he has risen a lot. I think the idea that he could go two or three is absolutely real. I just, I can't construct a good argument to take him number one. Like I can at least see a pretty reasonable case that you would take him above Karloftis or Thibodeau or any of the other edge rushers, but there's just, there's no case that makes any sense to take him above Aiden Hutchinson because Hutchinson is also a ridiculous athlete. Like he's a better athlete than Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa. Those guys, when they came out, and he has the production that Trayvon Walker doesn't have. So in order for you to be in order for you to take Walker first, you would essentially have to say that like the two small areas where he's ahead of Hutchinson athletically, one of which is arm length, 
is enough to offset like crazy production from this guy and almost no production from this guy. It just, to me, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but you can make the argument that he goes ahead of like Thibodeau or Carl Aftis or whatever, because the degree to which he's a freaky athlete is kind of insane. Like there's a lot of good athletes that have failed at the NFL level. Um, you know, guys that have run incredible 40 times, guys that have great verticals, but I can't think of anybody that's failed that has that complete an athletic profile, right? Like he's not just, he's basically the 95th percentile athlete at everything, whether it's size, arm length, uh, speed, explosion. He's got a three cone time. That's insane. So he can turn as well. He isn't stiff. I, I can't think of a guy that's, that's been that complete a prospect profile in terms of like athletic measurements who has been bad. Uh, and that basically is what NFL teams are looking at and saying, like, there's just no way that this that kind of athlete can fail. Yeah, and looking at Thibodeau as well, I've seen a few people sort of compare him to the likes of Jadavion Clowney and sort of and questioning his, um, I guess, his love for the game. Um, and when we see, like, when you see comments like that and you see with the likes of most recently, what was his name? Uh, Isaiah Wilson, when he was drafted by the Titans, he was their first round pick, didn't like football, and he's out of the league within two years. Do teams sort of, is teams going to take a second, are, are they going to second guess themselves a little bit with Thibodeau if he, if he isn't taken number two, um, if like we expect by, by the Lions? Yeah, I think like there's always one or two players that get that like, you know, does he really like people were talking about Trevor Lawrence in those ways. Like he would give a couple of answers to questions where he would be like, you know, obviously I want to be a great quarterback in the NFL, but if I don't, like I'm okay. Like, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to end my life. Like I'm still going to be fine. And people were like, Oh, hang on big red flag. Now does Trevor Lawrence really love the game? Like the, the guy that we've been anointing as the number one overall pick for his entire college career, all of a sudden was getting the, does he love football thing? And, you know, maybe we put Zach Wilson number one instead. So I think every year that happens and it's almost always crazy. Um, like Isaiah Wilson, I think, appears to have just been a head case. Like that's not a does he love football thing. That's a this guy's an idiot. How did you draft him in the first round type of thing? Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think people generally are overthinking Thibodeau a little bit. Maybe he's a little bit. I mean, he's not as good of an athlete as. Trayvon Walker is. He doesn't have the turn. He doesn't have the um, the ability to run the arc the same way. On the other hand, he is freaky explosive. He's incredibly twitchy. He does have a great get off. He's got good lateral agility as well. And he's got a ton of production. Like the dude has rushed the passer really well in a way that Trayvon Walker hasn't shown he can do yet. So I think you, I, you'd be much better off or much safer, I think, picking Thibodeau over Trayvon Walker. What's a more disappointing group in this draft this year? Is it the quarterbacks or the running backs? I know the quarterbacks are probably might be a couple gone the first round just out of team necessities, but it, in your opinion, talent wise, which, which is more disappointing to pull this year? No, I think it's definitely the quarterbacks. I don't think the running backs are actually a bad group. And, and actually, I think they're kind of underrated. I'm not 100% sure why guys like Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker are not seen as first rounders. If Najee Harris was, you know, I don't see the difference to be honest. I think they're in that same category of prospect and uh, as guys that could be, you know, good in the NFL. So I think the running back group is, is actually reasonable, but for some reason it's being overlooked or 
dismissed relative to the last couple of years, but the quarterback group is like genuinely not good. Like you have to go back to 2013, I think, to find a worse collection of quarterbacks than this group. And it's not even just at the top. Like when you go through the mid rounds and the, like the late round sleepers, it's even like you can't even find those guys that you like. Whereas most years you can find a couple of guys in the lower rounds or the mid rounds that you're like, yeah, this guy could be something the next level. I, I like, you know, I like what I see here. There's almost none of that this year as well. So the top is bad. The middle is bad. And the, and the back end is bad as well. It's just not a good group of quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. And you did mention there a little bit about the running backs. And that was sort of going to be my next question, because like that, a lot of people have projected that no quarterback or tight end will go first uh, in the first round this year <clears throat> looking then in the further rounds and you mentioned a few of the, the the running backs but in terms of tight ends then as well is there any sort of guys in the later rounds that you're looking at for people to keep an eye out for this weekend well tight ends are tough as well it's not a group, good group of tight ends i think you know there's been this discussion for years about the kind of effect that the college game would have on the nfl and on the draft and the kind of players it was sending to the NFL. And there was all this panic that it would lead to these rudimentary bad quarterbacks and wide receivers because they were playing a different game. It's never really worked that way. In fact, if anything, it's having the opposite effect for receivers that there's a ton of these guys because there's just so many wide receivers playing now in college, but it does appear to have really taken the hammer to tight ends. Like there's just so few teams that are playing with a conventional tight end for enough snaps um, to get like real NFL caliber experience. And those particularly in high school as well, like it's, it's a position that isn't, it, it's only being used really to that extent in the NFL. So the pipeline isn't there. So it's not a good group. I think of tight ends. It's uh, like, it's a reasonable group of running backs. The, the kind of mid round guy that I really like there is James cook, uh, Dalvin cook's brother. And, like, it's really easy, obviously, to compare guys that are related and be like, oh, he's just the same as his brother. James Cook is like somebody has sort of photocopied Dalvin Cook at like 80%, right, in, in every capacity. He's the same guy, just slightly smaller, slightly slower, slightly not as good, you know, at everything. It's ridiculous. But I tend to work on the basis that, like, if you got 80% of Dalvin Cook, that's probably the best running back in any given draft class. So I think by that logic, James Cook's going to end up being a steal for somebody. Um, and from what you're saying about the tight ends, you are saying now that you're giving Tebow a chance to come back. Yeah, Tebow, <laughs> if you watched his tape, he played like 15 snaps or whatever in preseason that one game. It's the worst tape I've seen from anybody playing professional football. Like, not even any tight end. Like, it was a joke. You had to go through like eight plays to find one that wasn't a train wreck. Like, his first eight plays, number one was like, a drop pass. Number two was him completely whiffing on a block. Like the first couple of plays, there was this, did you ever see the video of like, I forget, was it Tavon Austin, like jumping in front of a target that looked like it was intended for Tebow and then like running away. Like it looked ridiculous on the video. It wasn't quite as stupid when you watch like the all 22, but like it wasn't supposed to be for Tebow. It was just in the wrong place. So it was like 15 snaps. And honestly, at least 10 of them were like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw I saw a lot of flapping arms yeah. on that block. Yeah. Like just 
I'm pretty sure we could block better than Tebow. <laughs> Seriously, like it's it's not even it's not even inconceivable. Like you hear, you know, you think every now and again, what would happen if you threw like a guy from the Irish League or whatever, just threw him in an NFL game? What would it look like, right? Generally, it would look pretty pretty ugly. I don't know that it would look worse than what Tebow's trying to do. <laughs> uh, so we're saying we should get Tebow over for the Irish League then. Which... No, he's saying we can go into the <laughs> NFL. No, 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 no. We're, I'm looking at improving air team first, right? <laughs> well, what, what it would be interesting, like if Tebow wasn't allowed to play quarterback or run the ball, how good would he be in the Irish League based off that? I don't know if it would be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm trying to I'm trying to make an I'm trying to make an argument in my head that he could probably make an, an okay linebacker. You know, I, we I, we play defensive end. I don't. You couldn't. You certainly couldn't play him as a as a tight end. That wouldn't work. Like, the no. hands just aren't there. Defensive no. end, maybe because he's still like two fifty pounds and you know strong yeah. as hell. That's that's good enough sometimes in the Irish league. <laughs> Being that big. Well, look in air division, we're playing division two, so I guess and yeah, I think he could be all right there for that. I guess you get a few snaps, you know, just to keep him happy. Might keep the bench for him uh, at the very minimum. <laughs> a lot of the bench. <laughs> well, listen, Sam, uh, I want to actually ask you one more question before we let you go. Um, we sort of glanced over a little bit with the talking about the, the strength of the wide receiver class, but um, there are a lot of teams and we're, there could be a few more teams now um, after we record this that are letting some of um, their prized possessions on offense, not most namely wide receivers go. So I'm thinking like of obviously Green Bay and and Kansas City and <clears throat> looking at your mocked in particular, of course, we mentioned Drake London. You actually had him going as one of the Kansas City two first round picks. And then with the with uh, Green Bay as well. You had them with their, I think their second or the first of their two picks with a with George Pickens as well. Is that is that the thing that, like you were saying in terms of need? Um, but we know now with Green Bay and and their tendency to surprise sort of uh, surprise people with their picks, surely they would have to go for wide receiver in in this one. Yeah, like unless they pull something crazy in terms of a trade or an even more signings and free agency. I don't know how they could come out of the first round this time without a, a wide receiver. It would be nuts. They have a massive need at that position now. Like they, they don't just need like the receiving core had the best receiver in the NFL on it for the past few years. And it was still seen as a problem area when they hit the playoffs and they couldn't like once teams figured out how to stop Devonte Adams with it, with better playoff defenses and double coverage and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, who else is getting the ball? Nobody. So you don't win. Like with him, it was seen as a problem. Now without him, you have to replace an entire wide receiver group that had the best wide receiver in the league in it. And all you've done so far is like sign Sammy Watkins off the street, who has a kind of injury history where he might not be playing for half the the time. So yeah, like if Green Bay don't come out of the first round with a wide receiver, I, I honestly have no earthly idea what they're doing. Yeah, well, that cold weather is definitely not going to help those injuries for, for Sammy up there for sure. Listen, Sam, it's been great having you on. We really appreciate the time you've taken, especially with such a busy week leading up to the draft. Um, what is the, the plan for yourself for, for draft weekend? Are you going to be chilling out at home watching it? No, we've got – so PFF will have a live show for all – all three days of the draft and then a sort of fourth day for a roundup. Um, I'll be on one of those days, the late later days, me and Steve will be in 
sort of side studio we have recording like reactions to all 32 first round picks that'll then get thrown up on the uh the pff youtube channel there excellent stuff excellent stuff. we do we uh we live streamed the whole first round last year and i think it was what 5 a.m film by the time we finished it was it was difficult it was, it was a way bigger it undertaking than we thought it's definitely not <laughs> happening this year we'll just do a reaction video next week or something <laughs> definitely we need to sleep for sure uh but listen like i said thanks again sam so much and uh, we hope to speak to you again soon sure no problem uh, and that's where we're going to wrap up this edition of the show um fion and jake as always thank you so much thank you Um, we'll be back uh next week with a reaction video to like i said the draft and where we think the best uh players have gone to and but until next time stay safe and we'll see you soon